0: Osiris.
1: This podcast is In The Loop, the legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at OsirisPod.com.
2: DIY and Howe Studios presents Deeper Digs in Rock part of the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project. Music, culture, technology, and rock and roll. Now, on with the show. Hey folks, Christian Swain here. I'd like to talk a bit
1: about our project and about you. The Rock and Roll Archaeology Project is currently four podcasts. Our main show... We think of it as a Rock and Roll 101. We will eventually do about 30 of these scripted, carefully researched audio documentaries. And we have The Rock and Roll Librarian, where Shelley Sorensen and I have lively, fun discussions about books that rock. The discussions continue with Rock Talk, a weekly survey of rock and roll news with my co-host, Peter Ferrioli. And we just rolled out deeper digs in rock, single-topic shows, interviews, and field trips. All we want to do now is more of it, more often. And that's where you come in. Our shows will always be free. That's our promise to you. If you truly enjoy it, if you can't wait for that next episode, well, won't you please make a modest monthly donation via Patreon. Just click the Patreon link right at the top of our webpage, rockandrollarchaeology.com, and take it from there. Thank you, and keep up the rockin'. Hello, diggers, and welcome to Deeper Digs in Rock, a production of the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project. I'm Christian Swain, and I'm behind the mic in San Francisco. This particular program takes on a wide range of topics, all connected to rock music in their own unique way. All right, so let's get started.
3: I used to smoke my bags of cigarettes a day. It was the hottest thing.
1: question. There have been many muses in the history of rock and roll. We've talked about a few of them, but how many have gone on to become established musicians themselves? I'd wager not many, but hey, we found one and today you will meet her. A week before her album dropped, we spent some time getting to know Peggy Young. Peggy was married to Neil Young for 36 years and the direct muse for many of his tunes including a favorite of ours, Unknown Legend, a lonely, beautiful ballad from the 1992 album Harvest Moon. It's one of Neil's best records and one of his biggest sellers, too. Unknown Legend, Such a Woman, and the title cut, well, really, just about the whole Harvest Moon album. It all sounds and feels like Neil's tribute, his ode to Peggy Young. So, Peggy was definitely the proverbial muse Today, Peggy is an accomplished recording artist in her own right, with five albums under her belt. After a decade of working as a backup singer, she released her self-titled first album in 2007, followed up by a 2010 release, Foul Deeds, and rechristened the project as Peggy Young and the Survivors, and has kept the name with all of her other releases. The Survivors have had members come and go, and they've lost a few to the great gig in the sky. But go look at the liner notes, and if you're a musician like me, drool at the names you find in the various incarnations of the band. Her newest release, which should drop right around the same time as this podcast, is called Raw, and it is a nerve exposed. In 2013, after 36 years together, Peggy and Neil divorced. There are no good divorces, but some are worse than others, and the dissolution of Peggy and Neil's marriage appears to have been a tough one. Those of you who have been through it know of what I speak. The anger and hurt diminish as time goes on, but even time cannot completely heal the sadness, the sense of loss, all the wondering about what might have been. But we humans are adaptable critters, and we get used to the new world order, and we learn, first to survive, then we start to see the colors of the world again, and then perhaps, with time and with good fortune, we learn to love again. Now, Peggy is also one of the creators and the president of the board of directors of the Bridge School a foundation and school for children with severe physical and speech impairments, and the Bridge School Benefit Concert, formed in 1986 by both Neil and Peggy to help fund the school. It has been held every October for the last 30 years and is one of the San Francisco music scene's biggest annual events. Over the decades, it has attracted a world-class roster of artists, old-timers and -and up-and-comers, all of whom show up to play intimate, unplugged versions of their best songs. So let's get to my discussion with Peggy and hear her tell it.
3: Regretted the changes that brought us to now I'd take it all back if I only knew how You can drive on away with the weight of demand And the road do so you find where you land in the arms of another, keeping warm at night, a my
1: Welcome to the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project and Deeper Digs in Rock, Peggy Young. Hey, it's great to speak with you. I'm sure you're... A nice l- to l- speak with you, too. Yes, yeah. I'm sure you're a little familiar with uh, to most of our diggers out there. And I believe your latest album, Raw, drops on February 17th. And it's getting a lot of good press. Now, I've listened to it. And while at first I was a little taken aback and as a man, a little frightened. But after a few listens, I, 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 <laughs> I found it very interesting and... <laughs> satisfying to say the least. But before we talk about that, let's talk a little bit about your life and how you got to the song. So you are a native Californian and born pretty local to where you live now in San Mateo County, uh, just south of San Francisco for our, our global listeners, right? Uh, but you—that
4: That tra- is correct. That, I'm a third y- y- generation Californian. You are your third uh, generation. I'm a first, so wow. I'm a oh, third generation. My maternal grandmother was born in San, Fran- uh, San Francisco, lived through the 1906 earthquake as oh, just wow. a you know, little girl and and, um, and our children are fourth-generation Californians. So wow,
1: yeah, yeah. We
4: yeah. have deep roots.
1: Oh, the West is the best, we say, right?
4: Yeah, oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. And
4: even, you know, Northern Californians have kind of a little snobby attitude, I would say, towards Southern California. <laughs> At least that's well, my, you know, I always thought of that as some kind of other state, some foreign country.
1: <laughs> well, then, I, I guess I, I'm an immigrant because, yes, I was born and raised in Southern California. California and came up here. in,
4: oh, in the Midwest.
1: No, no, I totally agree. I never felt at home in Southern California. And as soon as I got up here, I said, ah, this is where I belong. So uh, I totally understand. And yes, there there's a bit of a rivalry, you might say, between Northern and Southern. And it it is much more serious in Northern California than it is in Southern California.
4: <laughs> well, you know, as having grown up here and, um, you know, in my uh, early days of high school, and so forth when I used to cut school and come out here to the hills and hike around. I mean, I've just always, I just have fallen in love with this area and always wanted to live out in this area. Um, and, you know, I was, I've was, i been fortunate to be able to do so for, again, like over 40 years.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a, it's a beautiful place. Um, so yeah. now you did travel a little bit, probably just after high school, a little bit of the hippie lifestyle. I understand you lived in a teepee for a year. Uh, were you always an adventurer, kind of a restless spirit? Or, or did it? Did that come from somewhere else?
4: Um, I would have to say I probably started developing that spirit of adventure and um, curiosity about the world. You know, around my high school years when I, um, you know, the the uh, Haight-Ashbury scene was happening, I became very enchanted with the music and what was going on and I'd always been a music lover and then the whole, you know, psychedelic era of music. Oh, yeah. I, well, and even maybe going back from that you know the early Beatles and the early you know
1: the folky scene um, do you remember seeing the Beatles know, on TV on always, Ed Sullivan pardon me do you remember seeing the Beatles on uh, Ed Sullivan in 64 oh yes
4: I do yeah. on our little black and white television in the living room and I probably was crying because <laughs> you know <laughs> that's what we young what girls, girls did. did that's right that's right yeah that
1: was quite
4: the phenomenon but yes I definitely uh, remember that quite well.
1: So uh, you, you kind of settled down. Uh, you got married, had two children. Well, and
4: so yes, yeah, so onto the yeah traveling. I checked across Canada, by, you know, with my dog, and you know, I, my adventurous spirit kind of really took hold. I finished high school in three years instead of four, so I could oh, kind of you. you know get on with it and start community college. Um, young at sixteen, and dropped out at seventeen, and that was you know I left home at seventeen and started. Adventuring. Yeah, and, so an
1: adventure, definitely. You know,
4: kind of, yeah, well, as young people are, I was pretty fearless. And so just, you know, went about, you know, going and seeing what was out there in the big wide world.
1: Yeah, and then you. you and there
4: came was a back. lot going on. Yeah, especially. At I that came time. back, and that's when I, you know, moved into the teepee. Yeah. And I lived in the teepee for a year, as you say.
1: So the teepee was and, here um, in, in the Bay Area. It was in.
4: Uh, yeah, the it was the up peninsula. on. Dumb. It, there was a little commune that was kind of on its. Um, many of the folks that had been living there were moving out, but there were a few people that remained, and I actually took over um, this teepee from some friends of mine who had who had constructed it, mm. and it was quite a deluxe teepee um, for 1971 or whatever it was. And, you know, it was built on a platform, and it had a sunken water bed, but it wow. didn't have any heat. So. <laughs> you know, you had, uh, I had layers deep you know, between uh, me and uh, the uh, patches. Uh, yeah. but,
1: right, right. Uh, uh, the freeze, freeze from the water, uh, I I can imagine, yeah.
4: Yeah, no, it, with the condensation would eventually <laughs> come <laughs> up through, the, through, the, through my layers. But, um, you know, it had a trap dory that, with a wood-burning stove underneath, so I didn't have, you know, the fire pit in the middle. It was, it was very livable. It was very wow. comfortable.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can imagine.
4: Um, and, you know, I did have to haul in my water, and I had to go, you know, mm-hmm. get my propane mm-hmm. tank filled mm-hmm. to run my little stove. Anyway, but it was it was cool. I lived there with my dog and my six cats, and... and um Six you know, I cats, figured. Wow. Uh, you know, it was during that winter, I think, so it must have been, I turned 21 the year I lived in the teepee, so let's see, that would be 1973. I turned 21, I guess. And um, so uh, that's, at, I don't know if you remember, you may not have been up here yet. You may, I don't even know how no. old you are. So You may not have even been born yet. But, no, I was born. Anyway, was there was you're, a you're massive snowfall. So yeah. yeah, and so, uh, you know, People were without power and people with, without, uh, you know, the comforts that they were used to. And for me, it was just another day in my teepee because I, I wasn't reliant on, I guess I was off the grid before off the grid I, it was even a term. Right, <laughs> right,
1: right. Well, you know, after the 60s, everybody split and uh, kind of did the, the commune thing. And it looks like you picked up on uh, a little of that and came in um, maybe a little bit later. But, uh, you know, it, it was an, an attempt at. Trying to get away from uh, you know the uh, organization man, the the corporate structure, and the expectation of, of life, and uh, that was a, a wonderful time. And um, you know, in a, in a, in a strange way, it's still it's still there. It's just hidden, and you have to really look for it these days. So, so you, I, I think you spent an entire year there, right?
4: I did. Yeah. I did. I four spent seasons, basically. What I like to say, four seasons there. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, so went around the the earth one. You know, one full year And, and um, then I, you know, started feeling a little uneasy um, I think uh, because I was living up there alone And uh, it kind of started getting I think words started getting out a little bit About um, this young hippie girl living up there And, oh. and uh, you know, I started kind of getting some little weird activity So I moved out and moved to a little cabin Way out in Loma Mar, which you're familiar with mm-hmm. And um, lived there for... I don't know, probably close to a year as well was, again, just, you know, I've always been a bit of a loner, so you know, I am I was quite comfortable in the, you know, just living with my animals and went through my waitress years uh, during that time. I'd been a vet assistant before that, but uh, which I also loved, because I love yeah. animals.
1: Oh, always oh, had uh, an affinity with animals, I guess, yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: Always had an affinity. I've always had, always had dogs, cats. Now I've got a tortoise and my son has his chicken operation. Yeah, uh, and, coast uh, coastside eggs, right? Ben's Coastside Farms.
1: Coastside Farms, right.
4: And uh, yeah, he sells, uh, you know, at the farmer's market down there in Half Moon Bay during the season. And uh, then in the off season, which we're in now, he sells to some other, ba- you know, a local couple of markets in Half Moon Bay and a restaurant and a, um, another uh, restaurant over the hill in uh, Palo Alto. So yeah, he's, a, he's an enterprising young uh, man, right. Young businessman.
1: Right, right, right. So then you, you, you met Neil. You settled down. You got married. You had two children, Ben, and I believe your daughter's Amber Jean. And then That's you, right. you started the Bridge School, a yeah. uh, foundation school. For and the I had show. My, my
4: and I had my stepson. My stepson came along with the marriage. So, it, oh, okay. um, yeah, my oldest. So he's he was two when I met him. It was mm-hmm. when Neil and I first met. Um, you know, I was twenty two, and he was like twenty nine or something, and mm-hmm. he was two. So um, we met probably you know close to three or four. years. Years before we actually got married, I guess three years. Three years and so when we got married, Zeke was five, and then yeah, then our kids came
1: along, and then I started the Bridge School. Yeah, the Bridge School yeah. Foundation, and that's a that's a school for children with severe physical and speech impairments, and and we'll, we'll discuss that a little bit later. And for thirty years, y- you put on one of the most anticipated concerts every year in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I, I want to let you know I, I've been to three. Uh, one of my partners has been to twenty six of them. So almost every yeah he he's getting close. Serious,
4: getting you know? close yeah. getting <laughs> I wonder if there are people yeah. out there that have been to all thirty besides oh, I'm sure uh, there me and my husband. My ex husband. Yes, ex-husband. yes
1: yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure there are there. Are. And then in two thousand seven, in your mid fifties, you, you record your first album. Now <laughs> I, I probably just answered my own question, but how did that finally happen and why didn't it happen sooner?
4: Well, I mean, yeah, my You know, when our oldest, you know, biological son came along, you know, he obviously was born. We didn't realize at first when he was born that he was going to be as severely disabled as he is. So, um, but it became evident fairly, you know, as time marched on. And um, we, um, he required a lot of care. We tried, you know, some different home therapy programs and different things that were really, really consuming. And um, uh, when I went to enroll him, in school, I discovered that I was looking for a private school that would specialize in the needs of kids with severe speech and physical impairments. Mm -hmm. And finding none, I enrolled him in uh, uh, county programs where, you know, know, part of the educational placement continuum of the public school uh, sector. And, um, you know, it just wasn't going, it was obvious it wasn't going the direction uh, I wanted it to go, that because of his severe motoric impairments and because of his inability to communicate verbally or even effectively be understood by unfamiliar communication partners, you know, he was... They weren't seeing the same guy I was seeing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was just um, sitting in the parking lot one day at last day of school. He'd made some friends at this... You know, the county programs, the special education programs, they, they, they move they get moved around a lot depending upon you know if you're on an integrated site which Mm -hmm. most of them were and Mm -hmm. still are um, depending upon the needs of the general education enrollment you know there's either space or there isn't classroom space so he was having to be you know moved to another program and I was talking to my um, friend Elliot Roberts who you know longtime friend and longtime manager of of Neil's and uh, crying and going oh my god you know he just made friends and, and he goes well Peg Mm. Why don't you just start your own school <laughs> so we can give him the credit and the and the blame but um you know we did it we you know we talked about how to go about raising the money and uh Neil had the you know idea of well i think we all had the idea of putting on a concert, but Neil had the idea of putting it on in in an acoustic format. Mm-hmm. And that was really unheard of in those days. It was pre-MTV Unplugged and any of that. And, um but it was a, you know, it was a genius idea. And uh well, once we had the first concert and raised the money, we were like, okay. This worked. <laughs> now we've got to take this big idea and this general sketch of a concept. And by then, you know, we, my partners, there's two, there were two other partners, but we were all three were co-founders and um, one was another parent who passed away this Just, it, just last, this last year, year. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the other was uh, Dr. Marilyn Buzlich, who was a you know, professional speech-language pathologist with her PhD and so forth, and is specializing in augmentative and alternative communication. And she was going around to different school sites to provide services and seeing the same thing we, Jim Forter, and I were seeing with our own children, which was they were not getting the services that they needed, not because of any... You know, ill intent on the part of the professionals. They just simply didn't know what to do. You've got to bear in mind this was back in the right. you know, early eighties. Yep. yep. And computer technology was not, you know,
0: what it is, it is today.
4: Not even integrated into most school districts by any stretch of the imagination. So, um, at any rate, we we uh, had the concert, started the school. Uh, that's the only year we took off. We start had the first concert in eighty six and took off eighty seven. So we to get the school going and then we've had a concert
1: every year since. Yeah, pretty crazy. So then in 2007, you decide to make your first album. Uh, And I I believe... Oh, yeah. Elliot Roberts was was the one who helped kind of push you into the school, get the school going. He's also the one that kind of got you
4: (laughs) recording, right? (laughs) It's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, the little backstory is that I Neil asked me to perform with him at the Academy Awards when um, he was nominated for his beautiful song Philadelphia from the movie. Um, that was it was you know the um, Bruce ended up doing the opening song and and Neil's song was the closing mm-hmm. song and it's mm-hmm. so tender and so beautiful. It yeah. was yeah. just you know so I did it and that was my first. I mean, he knew I sang. He he knew I wrote. He knew I played guitar. He, you know, we used to just sit around and you know jam in our living room <laughs> when <laughs> we were kids in <laughs> you know, the first Mary right. Yeah, and uh, that was my first professional, you know, appearance. Um, uh, you might as well start. So at the top, I guess huh? that was, well, you know, start talk about diving in the deep end. <laughs> yeah. Um, so after that, we um, another friend of mine who had a girlfriend had been um, part of this little. Singing group, and they were working on a record, and Pacifica's own Nancy Hall was involved in that project. And so we were, we, I went over to this recording studio. I had to audition for the Southern Girl uh, Victoria, and um, I passed the audition. <laughs> and so I, I sang on, I think just one song on mm. that on that record that the that they put out. And um, what was the record called? And then Nancy and my friend who invited me to join. In on that project, we just started talking about how much I love to sing and how, you know, we all love to sing. And so we formed the Mountainettes. The Mountainettes? And the Mountainettes were, uh, you know, it's an all women, mostly a cappella, although Nancy did play uh, drums. And then she literally learned to play guitar and became quite masterful at it during the course of the time of the Mountainettes. We met once a week. So, you know, I just kept singing. That was kind of what, you know, and um, around about 2000 so I guess that Academy Awards appearance was like in the mid-90s I, th- I think 97 around about 2000 Seven. Neil invited me no in the year 2000 Neil invited me to um, sing backgrounds with my sister-in-law with his his band he was taking out on the road and that became the Friends and Relatives Band mm. oh, and it was a music and head tour and it was you know playing and you know, getting to sing first of all all of, you know so many of Neil's glorious songs and, and Jimmy Kelly on drums and Duck Dunn's on bass <laughs> yeah, and Spooner yeah. Oldham's on keys and Ben Keith on steel and, you know it's just like I mean I knew all these guys yeah, I'd known of, them for the years. Bridge
1: school, right? Uh, or I guess friends and well,
4: and also just because they thing, played with in other Neil, bands of yeah. Neil's yeah, and yeah, just yeah. you know I've been around you know for some t- you know quite some time. I guess I point, guess it, it takes away some of the age.
1: intimidation factor then.
4: Well, it did and it didn't because they'd known me, you know, as you know Neil's wife, as you Neil's know, as the Kids' mom, as you know, I was on the road a lot because we like to be on the road as a family. But so for me to step into a role of singer was a little intimidating, Mm. but again, did it, did it you know, well enough to be hired again <laughs> and uh, so we toured um, off and on for the next five years when he played with CSNY, obviously they didn't need any more vocalists, but um, we did some backgrounds with uh, Crazy Horse, we did some backgrounds with this other short-lived band I wish we'd done more with them, it was a terrific band, but it was uh, the Are You Passionate band So at any rate, I may be getting out of seat But at any rate, somewhere there, you know, I remember we were at a bridge concert and Elliot said, you know, I really think it's, you know, maybe time for you to get in the studio and make your own record. So I pulled together some of the musicians that I'd known, you know, over the years. And that was really intimidating as well, because again, now they, you know, known me as a background singer. Now I'm going to be the lead singer now right. it's going to be yeah. you know that's a whole different you know role so um, you know I was nervous a nervous wreck um, and I remember Neil saying well what are you worried about it's just world class musicians crawling all over the place <laughs> <laughs> I was like I'm oh, thanks, <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> but you know we got in there we did it and about three days in my then lead guitar player Anthony Crawford said come on Peggy when are we going to break out some of your, your original because I had been just learning covers because I was you know I'd been writing and writing and writing for ages uh-huh. I um, was very shy about bringing out my work and, and you know when you ask why I didn't do it sooner I mean certainly the fact that I'm very shy and didn't have any confidence in myself um, was a factor you know I just I couldn't even play low I was just really, really, really shy. Oh. Well, so, uh, come a long way then. Uh, you know, we got in, we did it, and once I broke out one of my first vintage songs, uh, you know, that just gave me the confidence to, yeah, well, like, yes. I mean, let's try yeah. this one, let's try this one. So yeah. mostly what you hear on that first record, it wrote things I'd written close to, you know, 25, most of them, not all of them, but a goodly portion of them. Uh-huh. was probably written 25 years prior, at least. There were a couple... Like um, I think fakes on that record and that was that was more of a, a newer uh, that was a, a newer song and gosh it's hard for me to even remember what song I remember I did uh, I think Sometimes Like a River was on that record and I loved the band Joy of Cooking and they were a local Bay Area band and um, I'd always loved that song but I just took it and completely kind of turned it inside out so mm-hmm. that I could make it my own right. and so it's very very different from their version and you know I was pleased with the outcome and so once I got started, and the kids were old enough, right. and, you know, it just kind of all was falling into place timing-wise.
1: Yeah, yeah, and now, here, ten years later, you've got five albums out. You're a veteran.
4: Uh, yeah, um, you know, uh, I guess that's true. You know, I once I got going, the genie was out of the bottle, and, you know, <laughs> The, there was the was sci- no stopping girl me. was put away. <laughs> but, you know, in between right. my own recording projects, I continued to tour with Neil, yeah. and so... Uh, um, our last tour was the um, electric band tour, and that was went from 2007 to 2009. So um, that took you know a goodly chunk um, of time away, but I managed to get foul Deeds recorded in there um, in the middle, and then and then he moved on to I don't know whether it was a, another CSNY project or some other project maybe with the horse again. He's I always can't moving. Remember, but, uh, yeah, yeah. I was then able to go back and focus on my own music. Now, now you got, a, you, got uh, a you know, amazing. I love both. I love helping bring his songs to life, and I loved doing my own music.
1: Now, let's um, talk about your. Let's tough. talk about your band. You've got a pretty amazing band. I think I, I think you, at one time you had Rick Rosas and Lap Steel Guitar Master Ben Keith before they passed in your band as well. I did.
4: That that was I pretty did. amazing. But today, well, I've known Rick and Ben, you know, for years oh. and. Um, I always uh, loved Rick's um, style of playing. Very unique, very soulful, and very snaky. And uh, and of course, Ben was Ben, you know? Yeah. And yeah, they were original survivors. Absolutely. Yeah, that's and the name fact, of the band. We didn't Peggy, come up with our name Peggy Young and the Survivors. So we'd right? lost Ben. What's that?
1: I said that's the name of the band Peggy Young and the Survivors.
4: That is the name of my band. Mm-hmm. And we came up with that after after we lost Ben. And then my lead guitar, my original lead guitar player, Anthony Crawford, whom I'd known gosh, since Neil did like the oh, Shocking Pinks, or maybe the, even the International Harvesters. They get lost in the sequence a bit um, because he's been, you know, so prolific. Oh uh, yes. But um, at any rate, um, they were so supportive. And oh, so then Anthony left the band shortly after Ben died, and so then we were, you know, Phil, whom Rick brought into the band, the drummer, my drummer, Phil Jones, and. Spooner and, um, yeah, I guess it was just three of us. Oh, no, Rick. Rick was still alive, yeah. So we were sitting around, you know, kitchen table going, well, now what do we do? Are you guys still in? And they were like, hell yeah. So Spooner recommended Kelvin Holly to me, and um, he was a friend of his from Alabama, and he played with Little Richard for 15 years. Got a great, great R&B sound and background. Not a Muscle Shoals guy. So he, you know, we made contact with him. He flew out the next Day and and he's terrific. And then um, we lost, uh, but it did give our band, it started giving our band a different sound. And then we lost Rick, which was just a terrible blow. Yeah. Um, It happened in the same year of the, you know, separation and so forth. So it was just like, wow, this is rough. But uh, we um, now have our newest survivor, who is just awesome. Her name is Shauna Tucker. And she used to be with Drive-By Truckers. (laughs) But she was with the (laughs) Drive-By Truckers and she's a young-ish woman by comparison um, to, well, most of the rest of us, uh, but she's been playing since she was, you know, and like 13 years old, and she is just badass. She's really good. And she sings, so we've got, you know, got that nice harmony part um, filled in. Although right. I did use, you know, background singers on this, on Raw, and on, actually, on, on uh, lonely in a Crowded Room and even Bracing for Impact, I think, but, uh, you know, Know, when we get out there on the road, depending upon how we're traveling and so forth, I may not be able to bring my horn section,
1: my background singers, <laughs> everybody. Yeah. Well, let's, let's see how they're going to be able to cover. Yeah. Uh, so so now raw. Let's let, let's talk about that. Um, a great title, by the way. Uh, <laughs> very visceral, and and especially the first uh, couple of cuts. Your song "Why" uh, it, it comes in with, like a, a like a shocking slap of reality. And, and that's what the song made me think of is that what you were going for in that opening track for that album
4: well I don't know if that's what I was going for but it's certainly what I was feeling mm. when I wrote it so you know surely that that came across uh, that was written fairly early on in the process of you know accepting or learning or try, trying to accept this, what was you know the new world order right Um. so you know and it's a Angry, but it's really hurt. It's really a way. I think my acupuncturist says something like grief is or anger is grief turned outward, or something like that. Mm. And you know, yeah, it's it's angry, but it's really born of hurt.
0: Yeah, yeah.
4: <laughs> and um, but you know, I will say, you know, even though it may seem, and it, you know, I've certainly got feedback that it seems like a total jab that's my ex you know I'm a, I'm as much to blame as he is for our, our marriage falling apart in some ways you know
0: mm-hmm.
4: I mean no matter how thin the pancake there's always two sides that's right it's not yeah. like one, so I think I need to make that you know clear that this is me speaking from my heart about at, what was going on at the inside moment. me mm-hmm. at that moment and mm-hmm. dealing with a very broken heart
0: mm-hmm.
4: but I also don't I don't want to the woman done wrong. You
1: know, it's, it's, uh, I don't, you know, I don't think that's the case as you go through the album. Um, you know, uh, yeah. like I said in the opening, hey, I, I was shocked, uh, by the first song. And, I, and I'll be honest with you, I, I, I thought I was going to get yelled at for 45 minutes. But in the end, that's not what I got uh, at first, perhaps. But you know, at the same time, aren't artists supposed to do that exactly? I mean, shock and cause a visceral reaction. And uh, I'll tell you, it certainly got my attention. But after really listening, you know, I found it far more nuanced and, and convoluted. You know, the the album shifts uh, back and forth. Yeah, you know, thirty six years is a long time to be with someone, and it, and it's you know, it's fair oh, to yeah. say that the you know the songs you know gave gave my best to you and and too little too late and by the way I love that song I think that's a real standout in the album thank you you know i obviously is is that when the hurt was at its deepest when when the world was at its darkest when you wrote those
4: yeah they were they were written pretty early on yeah and uh I was still you know processing yeah you know mm-hmm what had happened, and uh, yeah, as you say, thirty-six years is a long time. And my life was very much um, about my family. My family was, you know, and still is the most important thing in the world to me. Yeah. And so to have my family, um, my my family, as I'd known it for so long, take on as you know, well, was trying to figure out what it was going to be. You know, it was definitely going to be different. Those were those were written. Pretty early on, and yeah, you know, I I, um, I didn't want to censor myself. I mean, there was some band debate about putting that first track on, and like you, I guess maybe um, the guys were a little bit like, mmm, <laughs> not sure <what> it <laughs> yeah. yeah. But at the end of the day, you there's know, honesty. I it's it's honesty. Decision. Yeah. And, and I think as you do listen to the whole record, you know, as you said, you thought you were going to be yelled out for forty. Five minutes, and it's not like that. No, it's no, really. No. It takes you on a. I hope a it journey. takes you on a journey. It's yeah. certainly a reflection of my my journey, my yeah. personal journey, yeah. and then. Uh, but a, a, at but the same a, time, a universal
1: journey. I, you know, you're you you're not yeah. the only one that's uh, had to go through that, and um, you know, it's uh,
4: exactly. And that's my that's my hope with this uh, with a this bit of record a roadmap, is that we'll right. be able to take it into their lives, and you know, I, I'm not the only person to go through a late in life divorce, or divorce in general, or loss of a loved one through death, or you know, I mean, loss is loss, yeah. and um, and heartbreak is heartbreak, and it's their universal experiences,
1: unfortunately. Now, but, uh, by, by the time we get to trying to live my life without you, by the way, great cover of the Otis Clay song. Um, uh, it seems oh, like thanks. it seems like the worm starts to turn. Uh, we, we get a, a little lift out of the the depression, and you know uh, some some of the light seems to return. So, uh, and boy, and yeah. boy, can you hear that muscle shoals sound there? Uh, with that oh my gosh that's
4: how, yeah, how fun we, actually, was it we went to, down to L.A. and,
1: and recording. I was going to ask how fun was it to record people. that song
4: it was so much fun oh my gosh and then uh, we went to L.A. to um, uh, we went to L.A. twice I guess we went down to put on the backgrounds and redo some of the bass parts and then we uh, went down a second time to um, work with uh, Joe and Daryl who had worked with me on Must Bracing for Impact um, the horns on there and they, as it turns out, I don't know if they played on the original Otis Clay, because that's an Otis oh, Clay song. Yes, it's Otis Clay, yeah. Um, yeah, Bob Seger did a, a really, you know, interesting cover of it, but I, when I floated it to my bandmates, my lead guitar player, Kelvin, said, oh, that's an Otis Clay song. And I went back and YouTubed it and looked it up and went, oh, okay, okay, this is going back to the source. This mm-hmm. is cool. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if they played on the original, because I'm not sure if that's you know I don't want to age them <laughs> but well, they they had it down I mean right. they, they their parts were done in like uh, 30 minutes they oh, just wow. came in well, they, they, they yeah. they're pros I yeah. mean they're just yeah. total pros and yeah. they played great and it just added so much to that track and uh, yeah so it uh, and and I think you know when I put together you know there's a lot of songs we recorded that are not on this record because mm-hmm. I had a lot a lot of words and Spooner and Kelvin and I collaborated on putting music and melodies and, and um, tweaking on lyrics and whatnot. So, you know, really, this is the first time I'd done, you know, had such a collaborative experience in, in songwriting. So uh, that one, uh, well, of course, that's a cover. But yeah, definitely um, turned the corner with, you know, and I, and I, oh, so when I put together the first sequence, I picked, you know, what I thought, you know, okay, well, let's take a first stab at it. Mm-hmm and my engineer um who be, who also I've given some um Producer credit on on the songs that you know we worked on together. So I switched producers in the in the midstream, uh, which delayed the record a little bit. But uh, you know, all everything happens in its time. Yeah,
0: yeah, got it for. So a he
4: yeah. listened to it when he got back to his place, and he wrote to me and was like, "Wow, you know, you nailed it. That's great, you know." So um, that's Chad Haley. He's the engineer that that uh, finished up the record with us. And oh
1: yeah, uh, I oh, worked with him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, JJ Kleene. I worked I with think him on four yeah.
4: or... Yeah, yeah, four of my five records, and also I met him back when we were doing Prairie Wind in mm-hmm. Nashville,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: and he was another Ben Keats turn-on. You know, Ben turned Neil onto to him, and, you know, he's just an eighth. He's just really, really great.
1: So uh, it must be fun to play that song live, too.
4: It's really fun to play that song live. Yeah, I mean, we haven't really had a highlight. chance to do it live too often yet, but... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's going to uh, be a highlight of the I looking forward. yeah. yeah. I am looking forward to touring and getting out there and you know giving these songs some
1: air and putting them out in front of people yeah so it's kind of go through the rest of the tracks here you kind of we we kind of get a little bit of uh, it seems questioning with uh, uh, you know you have the Ray Charles standard do I ever cross your mind and Randy uh, van warmers uh, just when I needed you most and then two of your original compositions uh, lonely and a thousand tears uh, uh, a lot of comp- uh, contemplation uh, is that what uh, what we're hearing here
4: on oh, no. um Lonely in a Thousand Tears yeah probably uh-huh. those were also I would say written you know fairly early on yeah that year although uh, yeah. in the first year yeah. say, and then uh, we had been doing um, Just When I Needed You Most think. <laughs> After, certainly after we were separated, but um, I don't know if the divorce news had broken yet. That that was a couple of months later. But uh, So we've been doing that one live, so that one was kind of a, you know, must put on the record. Yeah. Uh, I just love yeah. that song. Oh, and, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's pretty mournful, pretty melancholy, but that's kind of where I go. when i yep. <laughs> That's And that's kind of what I'm drawn to, even when I'm, you know, in a in a healthier, really? emotional, and mental state. <laughs> when I look for, when I write songs, and when I look for covers, for some reason I'm always drawn to the melancholy of it.
1: Oh, okay, all right. But then, it seems like uh, a little defiance and uh, pick yourself up attitude comes with. Uh, you won't take my laugh from me, and uh, and up to here, and and certainly your cover of uh, these boots are made for walking, huh?
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had to give my drummer, Phil Jones, little credit for, you know, he was, you know, we'd been doing all these sad sack songs and pulp Pitiful Me. It's like, oh my God, we need to lighten this thing up. So um, he had been, you know, suggesting that song and suggesting that song and we'd kind of played around with it. But I thought, oh, you know, we looked at the old Nancy Sinatra video on YouTube, which was quite racy for its time. Oh, yes, it is. And uh, oh my gosh, it's so campy when you look at it now, but (laughs) it's just, was we've packed up. And I was like, okay, and then finally, he just printed out the lyrics and handed them to me. He was like, let's give this a shot. So I was like, okay. So we sat around, tried to work up, okay, what's going to be our version of this? And so what we came up with is what you hear. kind of thought I was going to channel the, uh, I don't know, kind of this dark, kind of velvet underground, you know. Uh, oh, <laughs> it starts, yeah, it starts with, because, yeah, you have yeah, the tremolo,
1: tremolo crank to 11, and uh, and and then it, it yeah. Changes a And
4: then bit. we just kick in, you know, and Shauna does that great bass line, yeah, and yeah. then we just go into full-on rock and roll yeah, with it. And yeah. you know, that was a heck of a lot of fun to do. Oh, oh, I bet, and, I, uh, bet I bet, I bet, yeah. And uh, so that was a that was a keeper for sure. Uh, the other one you mentioned was, uh, oh, do I ever cross your mind? Well, that was, oh my gosh, you know, I, I don't know Ray how Charles, I stumbled yeah. upon that one, but uh, there's this beautiful, Bonnie Ray uh, Ray Charles oh, yeah, duet. Yeah, yeah, I've heard it. Yeah. It Times. so soulful man.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: and it's just, you know at that point in time you know I think that shows you know obvious you know progression in my in my you know adjusting to the new world order it,
1: and, it does yeah um, that's, that's what the whole album is really about it's uh, you, you've made a concept album Peggy uh, and uh, you know you don't, you don't see those very often and, and there's a real story there and it's a, a very emotional personal story and it, it just it drips out of the album and, and I think that's a great thing
4: well I, I'm I'm pleased with the reception it's getting um, you know people do seem to be I mean certainly they're they're interested in it for a myriad of reasons but um, I think the I hope that the overarching interest is in it is a concept record and it is um, probably you know the most personal record I've ever put out I mean typically I will write You know, there might be, you know, some autobiographical seeds in there, but, you know, it might be something I've directly experienced, something somebody's talked to me about, something I've observed, something, you know, not just necessarily direct personal experience, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, this one's probably, you know, the most personal record I've ever put out, and yet I still want to have it, you know, have that universal quality to it, so it's not just just me it's not just my you know my story. because as we've said it's uh you know i'm not the only one who's gone through this i'm not the only one who will go through this and you know I firmly believe that these songs could be sung by either party, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that if I'm speaking from my heart and my experience, but it's not a singular one.
1: Yeah, I can see that. I can see that, you know, uh, given different times and, you know, uh, uh, you know, I've, I've experienced some, some things that uh, makes that uh, a very truthful statement. And uh, so... We end the album with what appears to be acceptance with the beautiful Don Henley cover of Heart of the Matter. Is is that where you're at now?
4: You know, I'm certainly a lot closer to it than I was <laughs> when I wrote Why. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and, you know, I, I was considering putting that song, doing a cover of that song on Lonely in a Crowded Room, uh, because it's just, you know, I just love the song. Oh, yeah. And Don Henley's written a lot of great songs, but to me, that's a real standout mm-hmm. and it just seemed um, again you know timing is you know everything and it just fit really well as the closer on this record and it's about forgiveness and it's about yeah it's definitely working towards acceptance right? more certainly closer to acceptance I mean clearly I'm in a much much better emotional and mental state than I was you know going on almost you know three years ago Right. Um, so yeah and I we tried that that song um, a few different ways. We tried it with the full band, and uh, and then we tried it. Actually, there's a version that, that when Calvin and I were just sitting in the side room at the studio working on an arrangement. That's the take we should have recorded. <laughs> but we, but I feel really satisfied with what we ended up with. Um, it's it's you know we we just stripped it down. We're just him playing guitar and me singing and. And, you know, I wasn't satisfied with my vocal, and he wasn't satisfied with his guitar sound, so I brought him back out, we tried it again, and we just couldn't beat it. We couldn't beat the track we had. So, you know, it's got its flaws, it's got its little imperfections, but it's really, really... I believe, you know, I couldn't get back in that headspace. Right. Because even from the time we had recorded it it may have been, oh, I don't know, a month to six weeks later, I just couldn't get back in that headspace. I just, we just, you know, so I think it is, um, when I listen to it now, I mean, I find it a very emotional reading of the song.
1: I agree. I agree. So is this your favorite album of the five? Of course, I'm asking you to pick one of your children, but.
4: Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, <laughs> um, you know, they've all been so different. The experience mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. making them has all been, they've all been so different. Um, they, you know, I mean. I mean, if you look at the firstborn, and then, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, that had its own magic. And uh, each one of them, you know, has had the, its own magic, you know. Uh, and honestly, I'm I'm writing now again, and I've started playing again. I got quite frozen there for a while and couldn't play. But,
1: no, I, I believe um, I read you could only write like, to begin with, only write the lyrics. Yeah, oh.
4: yeah that's all I could do for, for quite a while, about two years, actually. Wow. But uh, but I could write. And thank God I could write. Yeah. Because I don't know what I would have done otherwise. Yeah. As far as, you know, it was very, very cathartic for me to write. And as I said, I wrote a lot of stuff. And some of them were more song worthy than others. So uh, I, you know, I'm looking forward now and looking forward to writing at least. You know, I'm not doing another record like this. This is a one. You know, this is a one off. I mean, my records. I hope have a, the a comp. You know, a thread of continuity that runs through them, which is honesty and authenticity. Mm-hmm. And so those those values. You know, Are always, I don't ever see always there. Yeah, yeah. I think. They, you know, if you don't have that, the, well, at least those are the songs I'm always drawn to. Right? Um, are those that I know are real? You know, what did I just see—Gloria uh, Estefan's daughter has, has just come out with a record, and she said her mother's advice to her was something like, "You know, you can't fake real." <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah, I get that." And uh, you know, so
1: well, it comes across. Uh,
4: it and hopefully, I want maybe someday I'll even write a happy song. <laughs> And that would be. I look forward. To that. <laughs> yeah.
1: that could be the whole next album—a dance album from Peggy Young. Hey, one... <laughs> yeah, like that. All right, one one last question about Raw. On the album cover, any special significance for using that particular bench? It's empty. It's, it's there on the ranch, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Hey, I, I'm sure all the diggers and all of us at the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project are, are just glad to hear that you've gone from catharsis to metamorphosis and now flying solo uh, to more adventures. Uh, so we're really happy about that. Can we talk a little bit about the Bridge School? Can Can you give me our diggers uh, a quick synopsis on how the school works? I would
4: love to talk about the Bridge School. Um, and I'll first start by... Uh, um, directing uh, your listeners yes. to uh, the website because I can only, I could talk all day about the Bridge School, yeah. but you can learn quite a bit more about the scope of our organization by going to www.bridgeschool.org. Mm-hmm. Um, we are certainly known for the concert, <laughs> but we are oh, a Oh, that. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. But a lot of people, oddly enough, even here in the Bay Area, don't know much about
1: the Very school. true. Um, Very true. Very true. I didn't and know so, until I went to one of the shows. Um, pardon me? I said, I didn't know until I went to one of the shows. I was, Yeah. it was yeah. an emotional, I'll tell you Oh, so, you
4: know, was, you've it seen it was, the setup at the, oh, at the shows. It was you know, the kids experience. are on the stage, the yes. families are on the stage. Yes. And, you know, they are the stars of the show.
1: Oh, when I realized those that, are the, I, um, I had tears streaming down my face. I, would, I I, was blown away by that. Just absolutely blown away by that.
4: You know, if I, you know, when I go, you know, go out to do my little opening spiel and I get a little nervous, or whatever, I just go ground myself by going and greeting the kids, Uh talking to the, you know, families who have little ones who maybe it's their first concert and assuring them, you know, because the kids can get quite overwhelmed by the, um, you know, the energy that's coming at them from the audience. and um,
1: 18,000 people.
4: And so I assure them that, you know, if you need to take the kids, you know, know, your kid off stage at any time, totally cool, don't worry about it. You know, this is about your kids being, you know, comfortable, you being comfortable, you know. So, at any rate, uh, the, and then it just grounds me. And it's like, you know, Peggy, this isn't about you. This is about them and the and what inspiration, you know, being amongst people with, you know, children and, and now, you know, our founding students are adults, you know, with severe disabilities and what they overcome just to, you know, get up the, every day. So, you know, they are so inspirational to me and the families are so inspirational to me. To me, and the staff—you know—they're just amazing. So the um, the school, as you know, was founded originally out of you know, born out of you know, my desire to find and then create uh, an, 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 an educational setting that would meet the needs of my son and mm-hmm. others like my son who have severe speech and physical impairments. We um, uh, we always knew that only a small number of you know children who could benefit. From the work we were doing at Bridge, would be able to get to our location in Hillsboro, California, where we're housed on the North Hillsboro Elementary School site. So, we, um, dissemination and outreach was all is always been core to our, you know, to our mission. So, we have done that in a number of ways, including, you know, developing our website. Uh, we've, we have an international teacher and in residence program where every other year, a teacher from a developing or a professional comes from a developing country. uh, and and work alongside our staff, live here, and work alongside our staff, uh, audit as um, they are available, go to conferences, you know, so forth, so that they can gather the uh, information that they need to be able to go back and then begin to affect change in their home country. Um, And, you know, we've had teachers from India and Poland and Singapore and Mexico and South Africa, you know, so when I say country, I mean I'm really talking, you know, yeah. Regionally with you know it, but I will say, for instance, our teacher in residence that came from Poland
0: mm-hmm. she's
4: had an enormous impact uh, uh, you know on what was in the former eastern block you know she you know so the, our teacher that uh, our professional who came from Mexico has also had a really wide reach and then on the on the off year, our staff go and make a visit to the location where the teacher residents residence uh-huh. came from which has taken our staff all over the world.
0: Oh, awesome.
4: um, more power to our executive director, Vicki Casella for mm. making every single visit. But um, so we do that. We have on um, the off year. We also have a by. Uh, we have a international conference. AAC by the Bay, as an Alternative Communication by the Bay. It's an international conference, and now. With the um, the uh, generous the generosity of Cisco, they allow us to use their site and they allow us to use their WebEx technology, which enables yeah. participants from around, the, around world the world, world. Right. Mm-hmm. to to you know be essentially virtually at the con- at the conference. Oh, that's great. Um, we have the summer camp program that was started early on. We have a program for our older students uh, that are now graduated, and as I say. Young Adults and Adults, which is all about dealing with, you know, helping, you know, well, they are really the, they lead this thing, even though there is a, <laughs> a, a, a leader yeah. from our staff, you know, she really empowers them to to make choices about what they want to do. And, you know, the issues that adults with severe disabilities face are, are quite different, of course, once they leave the educational setting. So that's an incredible program. And then we always knew that we, and those are just to see just a few of the things. So I'm probably leaving out, you know, countless other outreach efforts that we've that we've taken on. We have, um, trans- uh, the program was always designed to be transitionary.
0: Mm-hmm. So it was
4: never designed to be a permanent placement option for the students. The goal was to uh, have the students attend the school until such time as they reached a level of competency with their communication devices and or their low tech, what we call the low tech. So that would be, you know, um, there's no tech, low tech and high tech. So. You know, no tech is, you know, learning to really be able to read things like what we call environmental eye gaze. So,
0: uh-huh.
4: for instance, when my son's ready to go, he's looking at that door like he's already out the door. Right. <laughs> like, Come on, you know, let's go. That's just a simple example. Right. But there's a number of, you know, gestures and vocalizations. And so uh, once they are ready to leave our program, even though it's it's always, a, you know, challenging for for many of the parents, because the Bridge School is a place where they know their, their children are getting it really the educational opportunities. Uh, and we're all about participation through education. So it's a bittersweet time for the parents when their students are ready to transition mm. um, because the Bridge School is a safe place for their kids. And yet, you know, it's a measure of the success, of our success, of what we're doing. that uh, You know, the kids come for a, you know, a purpose. Right. And then it's time for them to move back into Typically, a general education environment not oh, not right. always, but yeah. more often than not uh, so that 's our fastest growing program. Uh, because we have, you know, we've now started taking in, we started a preschool program a few years ago and, you know, the younger you get the kids, the faster they learn the technology, the less, uh, you know, when we started the kids were older and some of them had learned some, you know, my own son included, some fairly negative compensatory behaviors Mm -hmm. and it's like yelling because, you know, they could not be understood and they were frustrated and that's, So, you know, and you've got the littler kids coming in, they haven't, you know, needed to kind of go there, uh, just born out of frustration. And then we have a research um, component that's really embedded into the educational program. And that's a way that we can collect data on what we're doing and really begin to, you know, really show the efficacy of what we're doing to uh, fellow professionals um, so that they can begin to implement, you know, some of the strategies and methodologies and so forth that we use at Bridge
0: Mm -hmm. in
4: their environments. You know, they... They may have a kid that has just come into the general education environment, but they're not really quite sure what to do, how to help, you know, them access their education. So, you know, and every time one of our kids transitions, especially into a general education environment, but even into a special education environment, it really crosses the spectrum. You know, there's that transfer of knowledge again. So there's that wonderful ripple effect of now that teacher and staff of speech pathology and so forth that are on the receiving end have a better handle on what to do next time a student you know comes through into their classroom a student with the you know similar profile as those uh-huh. that we um, mm-hmm. that we have yep. at each school. So while the perception is often that we're a small, well-funded by way of the concert school in Hillsborough, California, which of course is a you know wealthy community, we have a real need that our the concert covers and the tuition that follows varies from year to year if the kids are district-placed or parent-placed, but um, that only covers, you know, maybe a half Oh. So, of our actual operating budget wow. to run all of these programs, and so you know, a big focus of our uh, for for those of us on the board and has um, been on the endowment campaign, and we need to raise endowment monies in order to ensure that you know this collective effort that's gone on for thirty years now, known as the Bridge School <laughs> Organization, doesn't you know cease to be when we you know stop having the concerts whenever that will be but it it will be sometime yeah. because we're not getting any younger <laughs> um so none of us are. we're yeah. really looking to ensure that you know the survival of the bridge school in perpetuity so that's a big focus for us right now is looking at ways in which we can you know raise significant endowment dollars
1: well hey diggers as you heard Peggy here you can go to bridgeschool.org uh, and uh, become a bridge builder so um you know hopefully we can get some folks over there to that so all right one last question I just got to ask because it happened this week what are your opinions of Betsy DeV- both becoming education secretary.
0: <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> I knew I'd get a big laugh out of you. <laughs>
4: if you don't laugh, you're just going to cry. <laughs> right. I Holy don't minute. think she has any idea where special education funding, how yeah. that works. No. Um, so there's a real concern there. Yeah, I mean, I've got a three-and-a-half-month-old grandson, and I was talking to my daughter
1: about the other day. Congratulations, by the way. Uh,
4: Thank uh, you. Uh, yeah, he's the love of my yeah. life. I, I believe he's his name so is so Ronan.
1: Is that right? Yes. Yeah, yes. very nice. Ronan Shazad. So you, you must be really so he's
4: proud. Got the I- and then he's got uh, my son-in-law's family name so um you know his his family's uh, Bengali, so uh, anyway, uh, yes, he's oh, he's just gorgeous. Oh, well, and I, I, I and I'm that. not just saying that. Uh, uh, <laughs> of course not. Of course not. He's got eyelashes to die for. He's oh. <laughs> beautiful, big brown eyes, and these fabulous eyelashes. Very <laughs> he's nice. He's just a sweetheart, uh, and my daughter's a wonderful mother, and my son-in-law's a wonderful father. Other, well, it stuff. seems
1: like everything's going great for you right now, Peggy. I can't wait to see you on the road. Any tour dates to announce?
4: Nothing to announce yet. We are in process. Um, so I sure hope we've got something to announce. You know, before too much longer.
1: Well, you come back and let us I'd
4: like know. To get out there, like I said, and get you, this music out in front of people. That's and right.
1: That's right. Just my
4: band pitching to play. And oh yeah.
1: yeah. You
4: know, just yeah. you know, have some fun. We we all get along great. We just have a wonderful time when we're out there. So very, very um, supportive of each other. And uh, so that's a joy for me. So I'm, And I've certainly spent most of my adult life on the road. So, you know, I miss yeah. that well, just in general. Yeah. <laughs> there so. you go. There you go. Well, Peggy, yeah, it's, I'm very comfortable.
1: it's been fantastic and an honor speaking with you today. And I have a feeling your new record's going to do really well. Uh, and mostly we hope to catch you out on the road soon. So, hey, um, thank you very much.
4: And thank you. I appreciate how you
3: taking the time for our chats. enjoyed it. I'm learning to live without you now But I miss you sometimes The more I know, the less I understand All the things I thought I knew I'm learning again Been trying to get down to the heart of the matter But my will gets weak And my thoughts seem to scatter But I think it's about Forgiveness Forgiveness Even if You don't love me anymore
2: Okay If you
1: didn't just fall in love with Peggy, then I don't know. Check your pulse. Are you even still alive? I found her to be passionate and witty and charming as hell. And come on, that infectious laugh, too much. Write what you know goes the old cliche. And artists do typically speak or sing or write about the things they know, the things they feel. They turn to the guitar or the pen as a way to get those emotions and questions out. To look him over, uh, try to make a little sense of it. That's what I took away from Peggy Young's new album. It's deeply personal, sometimes shocking. There is no small amount of anger and hurt, but it doesn't stay stuck there. It moves through the stages of grief and comes out stronger for the experience. Able to accept and to move on, or at least to begin to do so. It really was lovely to speak with her and listen to her story here about the creation of the new album, Raw. To me, what really shone through the whole time was her obvious love for her music, her family, and for the Bridge School. Speaking of which, I'll give them another shout out Bridge School. Come on, Diggers, go visit bridgeschool.org and see what these kids can do. So, you've heard Peggy and I talk about the album, you know the story. Make sure you go out and purchase or stream her work from your favorite retailer or provider. We think you'll be impressed. And keep up with Peggy at PeggyYoung.com to find all her social info. I'm Christian Swain, and this is Deeper Digs in Rock, a production of the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project. Keep up with us at RockandRollArchaeology.com for all our shows. Thank you for listening. And... to work for a just world without poverty. Folks like Radiohead, Coldplay, Pearl Jam, DJ Shadow, and many, many more have encouraged their fans to join the effort. You can too. Go to OxfamAmerica.org to learn how you can help.
2: Deeper Digs in Rocks, produced and hosted by Christian Swain. All sound design and incidental music by Busy Signal Studios. All quotes performed by actors unless noted. Playlists can be found at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Please purchase these great and important tracks. All songs, clips, and references can be found on our show notes. Please visit rnrap.com for more information.